Hello, welcome to the Club Soda Podcast. I'm Drew Yeager. And Laura, you're back. I am. Where did I go? Oh, I just wasn't there in the last one, was I? I just wasn't there. You've been out and about in the world for the past couple of weeks, which is very exciting. The world is opening up again, and suddenly you find yourself out and about talking to people. No, I've had to do things like buy clothes and not just hang around in sweatpants and no. all of that sort of stuff. It's actually been quite a transition. <laughs> I'm thinking about having I'm having a haircut tomorrow. That's how that's how much life has changed. Goodness me. I know. You have to be presentable to the world. I know. Extraordinary. Anyway, uh, back to the podcast. So this week, we are recapping a conversation that you had at our festival in October last year about willpower and uh, why willpower might not work for us. What was that conversation about? Do you remember? Uh, It was a really great conversation, actually. And I actually personally got a lot from it, mainly because it applies to everything, whether you're cutting down drinking or or um, changing drinking, not actually drinking, that doesn't take willpower, I can tell you, Um, or or anything else about change. And so I think our panellists were amazing. We had Don Schenker, who um, does lots of corporate stuff around changing drinking and has been in this space for a long time. He's actually one of the first people that I met when we set up Club Soda. Um, We also had, who did we have, Drew? You had, uh, so yeah, Don, as you say, who's founder of Alcohol Health Network. Um, and he's been working in this field for about 20 years. Um, shall I just do the rest of the intros? Yeah, I know, I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. It's October. It's like a lifetime ago, isn't it? Um, I'm so confident. It's good that we know what's happening on our own podcast. Um, we've got Fraser McGlinchey. He's a mindfulness meditation teacher. Um, and he's definitely worth a follow on Instagram for content, which is simultaneously uplifting and incredibly sweary. Um, and then the lovely Amanda Kuda, who we met actually through our previous Mindful Drinking Festival. Um, she acted as our host for lots of our US events. Um, she's a lifestyle coach and mindset mentor who specializes in supporting ambitious women to design alcohol-free lives. Um, I just I just want Amanda to to phone me up every morning and tell me what to do with my life. She's so reassuring and so confident and so knowledgeable. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, yeah, just just give me a bell. But my morning would be her like 2 a.m. or something. Or yeah, a bit, early, a bit early in her world. Um, anyway, here's the conversation. Hello, everybody. This session's on why doesn't willpower work for me. And um, it's a session we wanted to do because I hear people say that so often. And so I thought we'd touch on that topic today. Um, And I'm going to ask the panel to introduce themselves and also um, let us um, tell us what they think willpower is to them. Because I know that different people have different ways to describe willpower to their clients or to people that they work with. So let's start with Amanda because she's come all the way over from the States. Hello, Amanda. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me in this session. I am Amanda Kuda. I am a coach and mindset um, mentor for typically women who are sober curious and want to explore an alcohol-free lifestyle outside of the traditional bounds of recovery. And, you know, for me, willpower is really interesting because it absolutely does exist, but it's really important to know that willpower is a limited resource, meaning you run out, it depletes every day. So when you're talking about using willpower for alcohol and you think about when you drink, which is typically at the night or um, in the evening or on the weekends, 
your willpower resource has significantly depleted by that point because you've used willpower to get up early, to go to the gym, to keep yourself from eating um, sugary snacks all day, to keep yourself from flipping the bird to someone in traffic who cuts you off, to keep yourself from making a face in a meeting when some one of your coworkers says something you don't agree with. So you've used willpower throughout your day and throughout your week. And when you get to the point that you have to decide, will I have a cocktail or not? Sometimes it's not that willpower, you don't have it. It's just that it doesn't exist anymore for you at that point in your week. So that's my take on willpower. I like that because it it, it turns it from being a bit more like a battery, uh, which depletes rather than a superpower that some people have got and some people haven't. And that's where some people can often feel that um, they're deficient in some way and they're starting and they've not been able to do something when actually that's not the case. Uh, Don, tell us about you and what you do and then tell us what you think about willpower. I mean, Amanda may have stolen all the best lines. I fully appreciate uh-huh. it. I'm sure you can add some extra bits in. Hi, Lord. Thank you. Um, yeah, so my name's Don Shanker. Um, first of all, apologies for my uh, Star Wars background. I mean, my son's bedroom at the moment. Um, so... Um, it's the only place I've got in the house that has the best Wi-Fi, so apologies for that. Don, um, you know that Club Soda is basically run by science fiction geeks, so you're okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, so, yes, I'm, um, I am the director of a, an organization called Alcohol Health Network. We set up about mm, 11, 10 years ago um, to, to promote alcohol awareness. And we try to do that through websites that we have, uh, for local authorities, for councils, um, but also for corporates. So we go to corporates and try and promote alcohol awareness in the corporate sphere. Um, we've just launched a new, a new program called the 30 day drink less program, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, and that's to help people to cut down and to stick to lower levels. So uh, my own background is that I'm an alcohol counsellor. Uh, I worked for about 20 years as an alcohol counsellor. I've worked with lots of different people. Um, I drink alcohol, um, but I've also cut down a lot myself, and I've also struggled a bit with um, trying to cut down, particularly when I'm in a situation where other people are drinking uh, quite a bit, and I have to use my willpower or all my, all my power to, to really stick to my plan, uh, which is might be to just drink the one or drink the two. So, um, you know, I think uh, Amanda's absolutely right. Willpower wanes throughout the day, if you like. And so and there's lots of other factors that come into play um, when you're in different situations, um, such as how, you know, your, your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions, um, your expectations that you feel other people have of you. And so you've got to, I suppose, in, my, in a way, willpower is like um, something that you have to try and maintain, but in the, in the sort of, you know, in the battle of lots of other things that might be sort of getting in the way. And so that's why planning and other things like meditation and other things and taking a breath and just really trying to remember your why, if you like, why am I doing this? What, you know, what am I going to feel like in the morning if I go against my plan? Um, you know, how good will I feel if I stick to my, you know, if I stick to my plan, for example, um, what, are, what am I really doing this for? It's really for me or my family or my health or whatever. Some of those things, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, are you know equally important as much as your as much as my my willpower, which is um, you know which which can come and go based on other factors. So that's I'll I'll, I'll leave it there and we'll come back to it. I'm sure. 
Yeah, no, you, there's some really important points that I'm going to pull out. Fraser. Good evening, all. Um, my name is Fraser McGlinchey. I am an academic originally to trade. I now work, I've worked quite a long time in brand consultancy, partnering in a company called Third Party. I also am a mindfulness meditation teacher um, and I work a lot with accessible wellness um, and try Primarily, I suppose, what I try and do now is raise the level of kindness that we treat ourselves and each other with. Um, and I think um, Laura mentioned if the best lines have gone from Amanda. I think between Amanda and Don, they've covered um, a lot of really pertinent, important stuff. So does welfare exist? Yes, but it's not as important as you think. Um, so I think is it kind of instead of trying to answer what it is, because I think the, those two answers were so um, important, what it's not is another way to convince yourself that you are lesser that you're doing worse than everyone else, that you're less important than everyone else, that they are somehow doing things better. I think a lot of the time we set up these parameters that don't doom us to failure, but certainly don't help us. Um, and if it's a way for us not to be kind to ourselves or to increase the level of judgment that we have on ourselves, then I think that can become self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think it's a tool and amongst a toolkit that we can develop in lots of different ways. I like that idea that you, you it becomes another one of those things that our inner critic or our inner monologue starts to use against us. Um, and you're right, it's definitely something that stops us being kind to ourselves. If I was to think about the fact that, that, that we've, we've already talked, Amanda very helpfully gave us the analogy about, you know, our willpower running out throughout the day. That mm. shows that, you know, how we start the day must be really important um, to, to have restored our banks overnight and start the day with good willpower. Are there things that we can do? And Fraser, because you teach mindfulness, I guess there's, there's an obvious answer here. Are there things that we can do that mean that we start off the day, you know, virtually overflowing with willpower so that as we deplete it, we can we can manage difficult situations? Or is it we just wake up with what we've got and see how we can manage it? Um, it's a mixture of both, I think. So first of all... Um, not in particularly in this context, but Simon Sinek talks about consistency trumps intensity. So the idea of doing little things and tangible things that can help. I think one issue that we have, and I completely agree with what Amanda said as well, it does diminish. There's also that classic analogy in this context as well of the glass isn't half empty or half full because it's refillable. So what we can quite often do as well is convince ourselves that we're having a bad day when we've maybe had a bad three minutes or 90 seconds or whatever else. So the idea that we can impact positively on how we feel throughout the day is incredibly important. Don touched upon breath and meditation as well. When we breathe deeply, when we're present without judgment, we hack our nervous system. So as opposed to everything seeming vast, we can, we can actively try and slow everything down. Similarly, all of these, as I mentioned this idea of a toolkit, all these little things we can do, um, Take practice. But part of the problem, again, coming back to the point with willpower is we are so adept at convincing ourselves that everyone else is doing it better, that this is a flaw in our character rather than our chemistry, that somehow, you know, we are fated um, to be miserable or to fail. And I think part of that is choosing to see when we're doing really well, as opposed to choosing to see when we don't feel good about ourselves as confirmation that we're a dreadful human. Because above all, you're not a dreadful human. You're important all the time. And I think the more we can underpin 
what we do and how we see it with that, I think that's incredibly helpful. It's interesting, Faith, because you talk about the fact that we might have had a bad three minutes and therefore we we write off the whole of the day and that can knock our willpower for six. If you've been over drinking, I can tell you those three minutes become the justification for drinking at the end of the day. And that's been quite hardwired for a long time. Amanda, how do you how do you stop that, that those events basically that happen in a day, knocking your willpower for six and depleting you quicker? Yeah, that's a great distinction because you know it it's it's awesome to think we could set ourselves up for success at the beginning of the day but really what it's do what we need to do is reset ourselves more frequently instead of let these little daily burdens pile up on us so you know you stub your toe on the end of the table or you shatter your cell phone or whatever it is that is like the last thing the last straw that's like made you upset or depleted your willpower or made it seem like you're just having the crummiest day um or if someone just gives you you know, looks at you the wrong way and it makes you feel feel sad or upset, what you can do is instead of letting that fester, letting that pile up is to pause. And I have a tool that I really um, like to use and I share with my clients and it's an acronym, WAIT. And so W-A-I-T and it's two parts. It's a time cue exercise and it's also a intellectual processing exercise. So WAIT stands for what am I thinking? And it also reminds you to take a break. So when something happens that you feel that you have no will left to give, that you're really just wanting to give in and throw in the towel, I would like for you to wait. Take yourself out of the situation that you're in. Instead of letting things just pile up, go to the bathroom or wherever you can be alone and wait 15 to 20 minutes. And during that time, instead of festering on it, say, what am I thinking? What is whatever just happened? What is that making me think? And then after I think that thought, how do I feel? And let yourself process. I would just have you journal with, you know, on pen to paper for 15 minutes to get that thought and that feeling under it out. Because what we do to ourselves, that is the biggest disservice is we let that feeling ball up inside and feelings aren't meant to be repressed. They're meant to be expressed. So if you don't have quite the ability yet to express it to the person or in the situation that you're in, at least express it to the paper and put it out of your mind to where you're not holding on to it. And a lot of times that is enough to, number one, reset your willpower because you've you've pulled yourself away from the scenario where maybe you want to drink or you want to do something that's um, self-sabotaging. And it's allowed you to process whatever it is that you're thinking about that's frustrating you. So it kind of does double duty there. And it's a really powerful tool if you can remind yourself to do that um, versus waiting until the end of the day. So what I've heard are some two really important things. One is uh, around what Fraser says around consistency, doing consistent things like meditation and breathing and relaxing and things like that can really help you in the longer term keep to your goals. And Amanda's given us a tool for what happens when an event just comes and knocks us for six. So Don, what do you what do you have for us then in terms of the keeping our willpower top up throughout the day or the, throughout the week? So I heard someone once refer to the sod it moment. Uh, like when you just go... Don, you've been very polite with your language there because I just call it the fuck it moment and the fuck it button. And so you've been very good. So that's the moment, you know, we know, we all know that moment where you've, you know, you've, you've had, you know, you've had a terrible day or something bad has happened and you just think, God, I, I just deserve to have that drink, to have that beer, that wine. It's just sod it. It's all, it's all gone wrong. 
and I think that you know I really like man, Amanda's point about the the, the thinking. I, I, you know, I think that, that's really important. And to take a breath is really important. Um, but the way to maybe manage that is to flip things around. Yes, uh, well, flip around. You know, you also you know you also deserve your health. You also deserve to keep going, to keep on track. And it's like, you know, really sort of thinking about, you know, what do I really want? Do I really want to fall back into the, you know, the pattern of having a drink? Or do I want to actually flip it and and go for my, you know, and and and, and remember the thing that I, you know, want, you know, the, 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 the why, as I said before. Why am I doing this? Um, you know, and to re- reinforce that why. I think that's... Um, you know, really important. I, I like to think of, you know, having a little mantra or a mission statement, a really short, you know, one half a sentence, five or six words that really encapsulate why I'm doing this. Um, for, for, for me, I, you know, I, you know I, I cannot drink more than, say, one or two drinks. I just feel terrible the next day, really, really terrible. Um, and, you know, I, I have to just, you know, remember that, you know, the plan is to stick to one drink or two drinks. I'm in a situation where people are offering me drinks and it's all very exciting. It's all very, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a social event. It's, you know, the music's going, it's, you know, but I have to really sort of remember, no, I, you know, I want to, you know, I've got a plan. I'm going to stick to my plan and taking a breath really helps because we're, we're driven by our emotions, by our sort of, you know, uh, our feelings taking a breath sort of really sort of allows you to sort of calm down and re-engage with what you, what you think. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's, you know, that's one, that's one, one way that I think in the moment is really helpful is just, just to take a breath and flip around the, um, the, the, the thoughts to something more positive. I'm, I'm really taken with all of these suggestions because um, um, uh, there are several things about drinking. One is that if you've been drinking and you can't control your drinking, then um, there's always reason to drink. And uh, one is a reward that you deserve it. And so we tell ourselves we deserve it when, you know, we've just um, got up in the morning or, you know, managed to put the milk bottles out at night or, or any of those things. We don't need many excuses. But the other is we use stress as an excuse, which means that, you know, a bad one minute can give us the justification and therefore, I think when it comes to willpower, we when we're trying to change our, our drinking, we've got those um, some quite inbuilt urges that have been linked to our drinking. Those those myths that we've helped justify our drinking to unpick to begin with. So taking that time to stop and reflect and um, and, re- and use some logic like Don talks about to go. Hang on a minute. Was it really a stressful day? Because a really stress is actually something else. Stress is a really stressful day, not just a hard day at work. So do I really deserve this? And is is drink a deserving thing? Because it does me harm. So why do I deserve to do harm to myself? Some of those logical discussions can really help because there's some real deep hard wiring there to unpick. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on that, that we sort of, we, we start on the back foot and we need to get ourselves on the front foot quite quickly. Yeah. One of the ways we can do that is something that Don talked about, which was about planning. So um, how might you go and plan for the knowledge that you are not a superhuman and just like everybody else, there's a finite amount of willpower you've got for your day? How so might I, you do yeah. that? Yeah. Do you have a go? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, you do and I think what's really important is to try is to try and think about the situations, the feelings, the thoughts, and the situations 
throughout the day that may you know that might make you feel as if you want to have want to have a drink so you know i think go back and you know what i what i you know you know when 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 working with 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 people who wanted to change their their drinking one of the things we still look at using a drink diary which is you know something which people may may be familiar with but really sort of use that drink diary to work out the times the places the people but also the thoughts and the feelings before the drink and the thoughts and the feelings after the drink. And so I think really having a knowledge of like, what are your sort of, and I sometimes call them danger zones. So like, you know, walking past a certain pub or being with certain people or a certain night when people invite you out, for example, or a certain type of day, that's, you know, if you, know, if you can work out what those situations are or a certain feeling or certain, you know, or, you know maybe there's, Whenever I feel really angry about something, that's that's when I feel like having a drink. Or whenever I feel really angry about a particular thing, that, that's when I want to have a drink. And so knowing those in advance and then preparing, you know, gives you that sort of knowledge and just preparing for those, I think is really helpful. And thinking about alternatives. So, you know, what can I do in terms of if this situation happens, what can I do in that moment, which is something different? Um, it could be going for a run. It could be meditation. It could be, you know, having a bath, whatever works, whatever works for you, because it's going to be different for, for everyone. So I think it's really important to sort of try and work out alternatives, um, but also um, to do other things. So when I, you know, I, I in, in the lockdown period, I started running a lot and getting healthy. And actually, um, if I have a drink, I can't go running. There's just no way I'm going to get up in the morning and have a drink. So, you know, having something else which you're really passionate about means that, you know, it's another reason that you've given yourself in terms of uh, wanting to stick with your original plan. Uh, and that sometimes helps, I think, because, you know, I know that if I have a drink, uh, you know, if I, if, or if I drink more, if I drink more than I am, than I, my body allows me to, then uh, there's no way I'm going to stick to my health plan, which is my, my other sort of goal or my target. So Amanda, that's that brings me to the sort of the what if plans. You know, if what if, if what? Wait a minute. If oh god, Drew's in charge of all the of the coaching stuff. But you know, if if something happens, what do you do instead? Um, what's that planning that you can do? What have you seen that's worked? Mm, okay, well that's a really that's a really important question because you. I think sometimes we set ourselves up for failure, and we set ourselves up for the what if versus just taking something out of the equation for a while. And I, you know, what if, if you start to feel uncomfortable, I think the best thing to do is remove yourself from a situation so that you're not tempted. But so often what we do is we try to go on living the lives that we had built as a drinker versus just hitting pause and saying, okay, for a second, I need to renegotiate my life. So there's this like fantasy and fetishization fetishization of kind of, you know, moderation is what we are using willpower to achieve, right? We want to drink less. Well, I'm going to give you a kind of counter. It's not really counterintuitive. It's a really direct approach that we've probably all experienced at some place in our life. So I assume all of us here and anyone watching has probably had a relationship, a romantic relationship where you broke up with the person and immediately you were longing for them. You were lusting for them. You were hoping they would come back to you. You were hoping things would work back out. And now the person you are today in this very moment 
doesn't really think about that individual anymore, right? Because there's been time and space. But if you were looking at alcohol, just as you would a romantic relationship, because alcohol is a relationship, you know that if you try to go into a situation with that thing, entity, person you just got out of a relationship with and use willpower, that it's not going to work. So if you're smart, you would not go to the party your ex-boyfriend is at because you know you're going to end up sleeping with him and that's not going to make you feel good. So instead of trying to go to the party, trying to talk to the ex-boyfriend right after you've broken up and you know that you're still like gaga over him, instead, just don't go for a little while. Don't go and remove yourself from the situation because what will happen is if you take enough time where you're not seeing the ex-boyfriend, where you're doing a little bit of work on the back end, instead of trying to like, basically what we're doing here when we're trying to use willpower is it's like, I'm trying to hook up with my ex-boyfriend less. And that's not healthy for anyone. That's not going to get you anywhere. So instead, what if you just said, not me, not for a while, I'm not going to engage with that person or any scenes that might be around that person, just like I'm not going to go to the party. Or if I get to the party and I start to feel uncomfortable, I'm just going to leave because it's best for your wellness. I think everyone would have such a different mindset about willpower because you would show yourself it's, it's something you can build up over time. And at some point it's going to become irrelevant because now um, I could think of every person who I've ever dated that they could be right outside right now. And all I would want to do is say, oh, hey, good to see you. It wouldn't be like I'm taking my clothes off and running after them to get them to notice me. And that's what we do with alcohol. So often we tempt fate before we're ready. And I think if everyone gave themselves a solid chance just to have a little bit of room to breathe and heal and get their head on straight, it wouldn't be that much of an issue. Yeah. And, and and the ex-partner analogy is quite a good one because often you sit and think, what did I ever see in them to begin with anyway? Yeah. <laughs> um, Fraser said that there's um, there's a good point there around starting to do things that then therefore nurture you and then might help you. And meditation and mindfulness can come very much into this as well. So um, what, you know, is that something people should introduce into their lives or how could it work for them? Um, I was doing a thing last Sunday, actually. I was talking about this. A lot of the time, if, I, if I'm leading a group that maybe haven't meditated before, I get them to just either lower their gaze or close their eyes and breathe deeply at the very start of it. And then it's basically, right, you've just meditated and you did it correctly. Because I think it's so much like a lot of what we're talking about. We convince ourselves that everyone else is doing it correctly and we're doing it wrong. And I think it's part of it, again, is... How can we do those little things? So when we know that when we breathe deeply, we can hack our nervous system to go from fight or flight to rest and restore. When we know that these, you know, this isn't like an esoteric abstract thing that's quite a tangible functional thing, which I think comes back to what both Don and Amanda were talking about as well. That idea of, I think what's really important in all of this for me, as I mentioned from the outset probably, is kindness, that we need to learn to be kinder to ourselves. And it's that thing of, I was so disappointed when I checked this, but the um, Albert Einstein quote, the definition of insanity, is doing the same things and expecting a different outcome. So if we can shift how we see ourselves, and meditation and mindfulness are incredibly useful for that, in my opinion, because when we see ourselves as whole and complete and worthy, all the time, not just when we feel really great or when we've had the drink, then 
I think it enables us to be kinder to ourselves. And when we see that being kind to ourselves is an act of kindness to everyone else. Um, but I think, again, and it's been touched upon, we set up these parameters of success and failure, which almost doom us from the outset. And unless, obviously, you have addiction issues, which are incredibly significant, balance can be quite a broad and meandering road. Whereas we go, well, I've done that wrong, so therefore it's broken. And again, with meditation, it's like if you don't do it one day, it doesn't mean you can't do it again. You know, whereas we, it's either it's all success or all failure as opposed to, right, let's just uh, – Sharon Salzberg, who's an amazing meditation teacher, talks about that as well. It's And Don talked about this and flipping things around. How do we choose to see, see things differently? So rather than amplifying the failures, why don't we see the successes? So again, in meditation, when you start, it won't be zen and peaceful, and it probably never will be because you're a human. And in the same way, there's willpower work to an extent because you're human. So if we see it differently and celebrate every time we come back to our breath, as Amanda was talking about, as a victory, rather than the feeling prior to that as the defeat, if we change the way we see it, I think it's incredibly impactful. And again, all of these are things that we deserve um, to curate for ourselves to help us because we need help. And similarly, I think this is a perfect example. You don't have to do all this stuff alone. There are people that you can reach out and find support. There are specifically events and communities that are completely alcohol-free. There are those that have no and low options, etc. So similarly, why not go to an event if there's something amazing on in the afternoon that may have no and low options and alcohol and see how that sits as opposed to, as I said, if you simply pitch up at the same pub at the same time at night with the same people, and expect to be stoic, then it's probably not going to pan out. It's uh, it, absolutely. And actually, what you say reminds me of something that somebody told me the other day, which somebody had said to them, if something's worth doing, it's actually worth doing badly, which is a complete flip of the quote that we normally have, which is worth doing well. Because, of course, you know, brushing your teeth is worth doing. But if you can't brush them perfectly, at least a little imperfectly, still better than not at all. And that's the same with changing your drinking. Starting, get beginning to plan, beginning to think about it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Meditating doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to begin and you will learn as you go along. Um, so I, you know, I think that's, um, sometimes we think put, there's this idea, just like willpower being a superpower that um, everyone else is perfect to what they do and we're a failure. And it's that lack of kindness to ourselves that stops us doing the things consistently that will help us. Don, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, um, that, that willpower isn't enough if you've if you're moderating your drinking, right? I mean, Amanda, you might have gone through this as well. I went through 50 million times of saying, that's it, I'm gonna cut down next week. I'm gonna drink less. Um, and and by just saying it, it doesn't happen. So, you know, what what you know, I definitely that idea of having an intention is good, but how do you make that intention a reality? So I think, I mean, I think, look, first of all, everyone needs to decide what's right for them. So for some people, what's right for them is to stop altogether um, or to or to work towards stopping altogether. And for other people, it's, it's, it's to moderate. Um, I think working out um, day by day what you want to do. So if, if today you don't want to drink, let's work out a plan for today not drinking. If you'd like to go... If you'd like to go to the pub or the or party with some people, which you really want to do, but you don't want to drink, 
let's plan for not drinking at that party. What will you do? And I and I would go through all the little micro things that you can do, like bring your own non-alcoholic drinks if you want, or go with a friend who's also going to go, you know, uh, who's not going to drink as well, or or maybe no, go, don't go to the party. You know, as Amanda said, maybe that maybe maybe it's a bad idea to go to the party. Really think through what you want to do, how you're going to, you know, what's going to what's going to sort of, you know, how you're going to feel. You can always, you know, you can always going to say you can always say you're going to go and then, and then not go. I mean, I think it's about looking, really looking after yourself and working out what what you want. Um, you know, I think it's 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 almost unrealistic sometimes to say I'm gonna I'm gonna cut down without any you know that sort of thinking through how you're going to cut down. Um, if you want to cut down, you've got to really think about what that means. Um, I you know I have some golden rules, so I do not drink you know Monday to Thursday, full stop. I, I'm, I you know I might have a drink Friday and Saturday, but I will not you know I have another golden rule. When I when I when I have a drink, I have two drinks maximum. That's it. I stop at two, and after that, I will I will either ask for a soft drink or I leave or I'll have a cup of tea. But and that's been hard. That's a difficult process. But those golden rules really help me. Having really you know, and that's me in a trying to be moderate basically. So it's I, I just I think you need to work out what you want. Do it day by day. Make sure you've got. All, I really like what Fraser said about all the positive things. Look after yourself. Get the thing. Get the good things in your life. Um, cherish those things. They are, you know, they are so important. It's so important for you to feel good about yourself because ourselves, because we are wonderful human beings. Um, we, you know, we need good stuff in our life. Some friends might not. Some friends we used to drink with might not be the friends we need. We should be hanging out with anymore. And if they don't respect our our wish, our desire to to not drink. Maybe those people aren't people you want to hang out with anymore. Um, so it's really sort of thinking through what's what's good for you in your life, sticking with that, and doing it really day by day. I mean, the one day at a time mantra actually is a good one. You know. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess what I'm hearing then is to all the things that everyone's talked about so far. There's definitely a need for you to reflect on who you were and what you were drinking and to understand what those triggers are there that helps you know give you more willpower there's definitely some stuff about thinking about where it is you want to go and what the the, at least the short-term goal is you don't have to set you know a forever goal um so that that's quite important um setting yourself some rules particularly if moderation is your goal then doing it without rules is is you know asking for trouble isn't it really doing anything without rules then there's some stuff around building some good habits and um things that will help boost your willpower so bringing things like mindfulness in or um finding new things to do with your time and then there's a bit about using logic which is knowing that you're not going to miss it ultimately you know you 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 let things go before and you know that that feeling lessens so use your logic every time you feel something to make sure that you're you keep your keep to your goal and you're not just relying on willpower Amanda, have you got some other things to add into that in terms of of making sure that the willpower is topped up to the brim or not left to chance? Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting uh, interesting place because I'm going to be a little more, I'm going to tell everyone what they don't want to hear. So sorry. <laughs> this is such an important conversation because we often, when we decide what we want, 
it's rooted from the place of the ego. And the ego wants to have the best of both worlds and ultimately the ego, or as you called it, the inner critic, Laura, the inner critic wants us to fail. It wants us to do just enough that we could tempt ourselves to go over the edge because then the ego gets to stay stuck. And I'm sure Frazier could speak to this a little bit um, more succinctly, but when it comes to what do you want? Well, of course we all want to moderate and believe we have willpower because then we get to, we get to keep the best of both worlds. Right. And what I would posit is outside, aside from if you are in um, a standpoint where you need addiction or recovery, which I don't think is what we're talking about here, because we are talking about the potential of moderation, because that's what willpower, you know, what we're using the willpower for typically. But if you have had a little voice inside of you that said, hmm, I think maybe I'm drinking too much. Then there's also going to be the voice, like if you've ever seen the cartoon with the angel and the devil on your shoulder, where the devil on your shoulder is like, yeah, but you should you should just try to moderate. You can figure that out because it knows that it can talk you out of it. It can talk you into failure. And then that the voice of the ego just grows stronger. So that that makes things a little more complex. But what I'm trying to say is sometimes what we think that we want is what we feel will be give us be the least maximum effort and give us the best of both worlds, allow us to be two places at once. And if you've ever seen any movie where someone tries to be two places at once and have the best of both worlds, um, like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is a really classic example where you have someone in this elaborate costume running back and forth between two different lives. At some point, the ruse is going to be up and you're, you're going to get caught up in everything. You're going to fail. You're going to, you're going to, not know which life you're living. So I would say that the thing that no one wants to hear is that sometimes in order to achieve willpower um, or achieve moderation or achieve that thing that you think that you want right now, because it seems like it's the best of both worlds, sometimes you have to just take a step back. Um, there's a really great article by um, Gretchen Rubin called Moderation Moderators versus Abstainers. And the main thesis of that article is that there are two types of people. Um, two different archetypes, just like you have your Enneagram or your astrological sign or your Myers-Briggs. And the moderator is just naturally moderated everything. You could give them a plate of cookies and said, and say, how many cookies do you want? And they would take one and be fine. And then you have the abstainer who naturally does better with abstinence. And for that person, if you say, here's a plate of cookies, they're going to take one and then they'll come back for another one and another one. And for that person, they find freedom in restriction because if the app if the person who's an abstainer naturally as their archetype looks at the plate of cookies and decides you know what I'm not going to have any they're cool it's all good because the decision is made so sometimes there's really a lot of power in making the decision that your ego does not want you to make because it seems like you're missing out so hopefully that that makes sense I you know there's a there's just a bigger picture conversation that you have with yourself that Sometimes you set yourself up for failure because you're you're wanting something that seems glamorous and it's really not that glamorous when you get right down to it. Yeah, I often, um, a similar analogy is, is that people often don't want to change their drinking because they think their social life will be impacted. But we still think we're living the social life that we did in our 20s. And actually, that's not actually been the truth for a very long time. And so we're still holding on to a an image of ourselves that we think will go if we give up drinking when 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 actually we need to be, have a, a solid conversation with ourselves about really what our social life has um 
uh, morphed into as as we get older it, it moves it changes fraser how's your ego well i literally study selflessness and a lot of that stuff at the moment um I'm doing a lot of Bodhisattva club just now in my Buddhism. But um, I think, but, so I think all all of this is so resonant, but a slightly different angle. I think what we assume to be egotistical is actually, as I mentioned before, part of the issue, I think, and part of the reason potentially that we want to keep drinking or are drawn to certain um, social circumstances is we actually think that we're less than we are. When, from my perspective, people are more than they give themselves credit for. And to me, again, that's not egotistical. So understanding that your worth is intrinsic, that doesn't belong to anyone else and never has, is not a natural place for us to get to because we're breaking generational curses. And we're so used to not even just wanting to fit in. I think that's partly an ego thing. But when we understand that also, I think what's... In terms of ego, save for not just the sort of ego death thing and letting that go and emptiness and all that sort of stuff, but I think when we understand, as I said, that we are intrinsically good and whole and kind, and we start to so again, this what I think is really resonant for me is we understand more and more now that kindness to other people is literally good for us. So being kind to other people physiologically and psychologically is good for us. But what we also need to remember is being kind to ourselves is good for everyone else. So when we're actually kind to ourselves, again, back to um, Donna mentioned before as well, that either the idea of flipping things around. I saw there's a great thing that really resonated with me. Kenny McGonagall, who's a psychologist, talked about I will power. So it's like I will do this thing because... I, I like, you know, it's not just about depriving ourselves of something and being a lesser version of ourselves. It's about, you know, we're not fixed. You know, there's nothing constant in this. You know, we're not fated to be miserable or we're not fated to repeat these cycles all the time. I think it's it's really important what you say, Fraser, about um, uh, knowing that you deserve to be kind to yourself and all of those yeah. sorts of things. Because if you've been drinking a lot and and you're listening to this be, is because you're worried about your drinking, then what you're holding on to is a lot of self-hate and a lot of guilt as well, which adds on to that. Um, Absolutely. And, and people need to – how can people begin to let that go? Um I think asking again, for a friend here, asking for a friend. It's easier said than done. And I think it's, it's the same for all of us as well. That idea that what we try and do is we extricate ourselves from the rest of humanity. We hold ourselves to um, a standard that we wouldn't anyone else because we can see why other people struggle or they find it's a lot. And also, I think the point you made as well, Laura, um, what's, I don't know if it's a universal term, but what's known as the fear that if you've had the drink, then you convince yourself that you've done dreadful things and you're the worst person in the world. Um, that's a natural response to reduce serotonin and various other factors in your body. But again, we choose to see it as a flaw in character, not in chemistry and circumstance. So it's that, first of all, yeah, try and be present without judgment. That's a huge thing, but it's also a, an incredibly important one. And the more we practice it, the easier it gets. And the more we start, you talked about this as well, Laura, and I think everyone's touched upon it. The more we can unpack these stories that we've told ourselves or these assumptions that we have about ourselves that are limiting. 
and go, oh, actually, that might not, you know. And similarly, each time, and Don touched on this as well, for example, and this is by no means in a humble brag manner, but I got up early this morning and went to yoga because that's what I like to do. So similarly, I'll normally have a drink every couple of weeks or whatever. I'm not going to do it the night before I'm doing something, even if it's a lesser amount, because I really enjoy the other thing. So I'm not depriving myself. I'm helping myself, you know, and ultimately it, I, I think back to how we can help try and get good rest. A lot of the time when we convince ourselves we're a dreadful human being, we're either exhausted, dehydrated, overwhelmed, or a mixture of those things. So how am I feeling right now? And is the, Impetus external or internal. So if someone said something bad to me, or am I creating this story? Which, again, which we all do. You know, so in t- instead of a really small thing, we catastrophize and it becomes huge. If we go, oh, that's a thing, I feel like that, and that's okay. And that's nor- it's normalizing our emotions as opposed to constantly looking for confirmation that we're a dreadful human being. I think that, you know, nine and a half years into being alcohol-free for me, I realized that 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 being kind to self is an ongoing process that could not even begin to happen if I was still drinking. So actually changing my drinking was the first act of self-kindness I did that would allow some of that to come. And, you know, like everyone else, I still battle with, you know, um, uh, you know, imposter syndrome and, you know, all sorts of other things. Um, but, um, but I can now at least deal with those from a position of having the energy to do it because I'm not always hungover, but also not having that guilt layered on. Mm. Guys, we're, we're coming to the end and I just want to come back to each of you for some final thoughts because I always love to hear Amanda's wisdom. It's always so amazing. So let me go to Amanda, then I'll come back to Don and Fraser. All right. My final thought would be that if you are struggling with willpower, remember that you have it. It's just a limited resource. And that if you really want to learn to what willpower and alcohol looks like, in my expert opinion and experience, one of the best ways to find that is just to take some sep- take some intentional separate time from alcohol and and really work on yourself. And this is the exercise that I would give you to do. Um, because there are things that we believe that we need alcohol for, I need alcohol to be sexy, fun, exciting, engaging, whatever. I would have you write out all of those things that you need alcohol to do And then I would have you shift, just make a shiny, tiny shift in perception slash just have the willingness to shift. And I would have you rewrite each of those statements to say, I am willing to believe that I am capable of being blank without alcohol. So all of those words you wrote in the the first exercise, I'm willing to believe that I'm capable of being sexy, funny, flirtatious, exciting, engaging, whatever it is without alcohol. And just use that to like boost your internal self-esteem system up just a little bit. That doesn't mean that you are saying I am this without alcohol, which is a typical affirmation. It's just giving your inner self the little bit of freedom to believe you could possibly maybe in some alternate universe be that thing without alcohol. And that's all you need to get started. And having that little bit of belief in yourself is going to increase your willpower over time. So giving yourself tiny, tiny cues, tiny little love notes to self that will help you build up your willpower because you're building up your esteem as well. Thank you so much, Amanda. Don? Um, I I mean, I would say, you know, 
First of all, change is not linear. Change is up and down and around corners and back and forward, you know, good days and bad days. And so, first of all, um, you know, pick up the good days and forget about the bad days, basically. Do not worry about the bad days. If you have a bad day, if you have a slip or a lapse, you know, it's happened. Don't worry about it. Let's learn from it. So really think about what can I do to learn to learn from, you know, I mean, you know, cherish failure. Failure tells us what we, you know, where we want to go to be positive or where we want to go next. You know, what, what can we learn from failure? So that's that's the first thing. Um, you know, change change takes time for, for, for one thing. But also say, I would also say, think about change as like, you know, all right, I might want to change my drinking. What, you know, can I change anything else? If I can change something else, can I change, can I, you know, change the way I eat? Can I change my, you know, how, how I move my body? Can I change my relationships with, with, with other people? Can I change the way, I, do it, should I change my, the way that I walk to the park or the way that I, you know, sort of go around the supermarket one way, I go around the other way. Just maybe get used to like change in another context because actually once you've achieved other change in your life, you know, then you get used to change. We don't always have to do things in the same way. So, you know, and and just go back to the first, you know, another point that I think we've we've made previously about just being good to yourself. Because I think, you know, we are all good at human beings. Alcohol is an addictive substance. It's addictive. When you drink something and you start to use alcohol in a certain way, you get used to using the alcohol in that way to make you feel something or not feel something or not think something or think something else. So well, you know, alcohol has a way of like insidiously getting into our system and it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere you go on every street corner and every, you know, in every sort of situation. Um, so it's, you know, it's not surprising that for many people, alcohol becomes a negative thing in their lives. It doesn't make you a negative person or a bad person. It just means that's what's happened. And so many people can actually, you know, some people have, have managed to change their relationship with alcohol and not see themselves as being the person who's a bad person because I drink. No, alcohol is absolutely everywhere. And you happen, you know, you happen to, you know, I, I happen to have like got in a certain pattern of drinking, which I thankfully have like shifted, but it's, it's hard. And, um, you know, essentially you can do it. You really can do it. You know, if you, you know, you, you, Alcoholism, which, which you can change. That's, that's, that's why I would, my, final, my final point is that, you, you know, we can all change. It takes hard change. work. It takes sure. hard work, but it can be done. Fraser. Um, yeah, I think Amanda and Don were amazing, um, and I concur entirely. I think that, again, that idea of change isn't linear or progress isn't linear. Um, and similarly, that balance isn't a broad and, sorry, balance isn't a knife edge. It's a broad and meandering road. We convince ourselves that we're either a best or a worse self, but there's yourself, and yourself's important all the time. And you'd you deserve to be seen, supported, and loved. Um, I think, and touch upon that idea of love notes, meta loving kindness, a form of meditation. That we talked about that idea of being present without judgment and breath. So when you catch yourself and it starts spiraling or catastrophizing, when you take a deep breath or when you can bring yourself to breathe and be present, quietly say, I love you to yourself. You'll feel incredibly self-conscious when you first do it. But the more you can get into that habit and the more you can break. And similarly, yeah, you're not fated to be miserable. You, none of this is set out at all. 
neuroplasticity is real. You know, your ability to change is real. And broadly, you're doing so much better than you can see. Thank you so much. That was a really good note to end on. Can I just thank you all? Uh, this has been a really good session and I've really enjoyed it myself. So can I just thank you all for your time? Thank you so much. So one of the things, Laura, which I loved in this conversation was when Fraser said that we see problems with willpower as a failure of character, not of circumstance. Um, and I really like the invitation to be kind to yourself when things haven't worked out and realise it's actually not like a deep-seated problem in you, that there's things about your experience and things about your circumstance that make willpower really tricky and difficult. I thought that was quite reassuring. It's actually a topic that I think we should come back to because I realise how much I use guilt and shame um, in order to motivate change rather than kindness and positivity. And I don't mm. know what to do about that. And I imagine that's not unusual for me. And that's exactly the same thing that, that Fraser talks about. When you think you've not succeeded in something, you, you see it as a failure of your own willpower rather than the fact that you, you tried something and now you've learned something and you need to then try it again. And, and actually planning will make it more successful. And these are all positive things to be doing, not not negative. Um, I guess it leads me to my other mantra that I've been living this year by, which is that if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. So, you know, if it's worth giving up drinking and you've managed five days, that's okay. You mm. can do another five days and another five days, but it was worth doing those five days, right? Yeah, like, you absolutely. Know, brushing your teeth. It, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Obviously, it'd be better if you did it perfectly, but it's better than not doing it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so many people, particularly on our courses, beat themselves up over um, the occasional slip up. But then when you take it back and you go, actually, your life is 90% alcohol free. If you consider where you were compared to three months ago, the progress is absolutely remarkable. And you should feel yeah. very, very good about that. Absolutely. The word slip up, I, we need to find another word. But it's, we do. Uh, and then you get to words like conscious uncoupling or something. And then it's, <laughs> and it's all, it all feels a bit, a bit Gwyneth. And I'm not sure about that. But I, I do. I think it'd be really nice if we could find somebody, if there's anybody out there listening, who might be able to touch on that subject of, you know, how we use guilt and shame and, and self-hatred, really, in order mm. to motivate us. And then if somebody could also then phone me every morning to tell me all the things that come out of that, that would be great, too. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, please do that. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us about um, things you want to hear on the Club Soda podcast, you can reach us at cheers at drunkclubsoda.com, but also um, our website, Join Club Soda is the entry point to everything in our world. And we are at Join Club Soda pretty much everywhere on social media. Um, thank you so much for your company. And we will catch up with you next week. Cheers. Cheers.